sun before I start the day. I'll thank you for the things to come. I'll worship as I pray. I'll worship as I pray. Alleluia. Alleluia. All your children sing. Worship to the King. Songs of love we bring. Alleluia. Alleluia. Before I go to sleep at night, before I close my eyes, I thank you for the things you've done and lift my praise on high I lift my praise on high Alleluia Alleluia All your children sing Worship to the King of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Luke 10, 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place 
where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I have watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, good morning. Beautiful day out there, amen? As always, we come together today hearing the message of the scriptures in our lives and asking the question, what does it say to us in our day and in our time? What does it say to us right here in our seats in the wonderful here and now. This, in fact, is a fantastic passage. We've looked at it from several different points of view, and the teaching possibilities of Jesus in this passage are incredibly rich and meaningful to all of us. We've been now several long chapters in Luke. And in these several long chapters, we have watched as Jesus is putting the basic foundation and construction to his church. And what's powerful in the beginning part of this passage, and in the passages we've been working on, in these very lengthy chapters the last few weeks, is that we acknowledge that God calls us. For several weeks, we have actually focused on that 
sense of God's calling. But also today what happens then in this passage is that in this passage it acknowledges that yes, now, yes, God is called to what is call is God calling you to do in your ministry? So God is calling us, but also in this passage begins to line out some of those things that you and I, as the body of Christ, are called to be in ministry about. Does that make sense? That call is on our life. That claim is on our life. Anybody says that they've run out of ideas of what they should or could do as a Christian is not reading very much. Can I get an amen? But although this information here is so strong, we do need to remember that as Jesus speaks to us in this strong passage, he's lining out some of the key components of our ministry as the body of Christ. Some of the key components of this call that he makes upon us. This call to proclaim the good news, to proclaim that gospel, and to be a part of the working model of transformation and change that God is doing on this earth through people just like you and me. So that is the call for us today. And the second thing that's so powerful, again, about this passage that we can look at in a variety of ways we're looking at in call and meaning, but also what I love is near the end of the passage, he's already sent out the 12, they come back, now he's sent out the 70, and they come back and they say, and they are so pumped up and they're so excited, they say to Jesus, that even the demons don't flee. Even the demons respond and flee from us. And with that, this powerful teaching comes forth. Jesus just says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And what he meant was, And what he explained then to the disciples. That do not be proud. Overly proud. Egotistical. Or even attached to the power. That spirits submit. In my name. Because that lack of humility will be your undoing. Can I get an amen? Your lack of humility, even however talented and great you are, will be your undoing. You are not a God. That job is already taken. Can I get an amen? So therefore, what are we called to do? It's tight. Number one. Jesus says while we are proclaiming the good news of God's nearness, we are called to cure the sick. That was very clearly in that passage. That we as a body of Christ are to participate in curing the sick. 
It's interesting the Greek word that they use here because it does where healing tends to be something that can take place almost immediately or over a course of time. The language they're using in Greek for curing the sick actually means that we're entering into service of care. Caring the sick means service of care to those who are sick or hurting in your midst. And this is such a call to our church that many times we've set aside in this marvelous scientific technological age. We often feel overwhelmed at some of the sicknesses that surround us to the degree that we often try to ignore them rather than confront them. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so, therefore, I was reading, it was interesting, there was a pastor writing about a time 20 years ago when he was in seminary. Dr. Wilkies was, at that time, a very accomplished psychiatrist in a major urban area. And Dr. Wilkie also taught at one of the largest seminaries It's actually one of the largest in the U.S. that's located in this urban area. (coughs) Pastor was recalling this time and what was going on. And he had been giving a lecture on how the church is to be engaged in healing. (coughs) Pardon me. And one of the students actually stood up at question and answer. And this is exactly what the student said. The student said that he was concerned that in this age, in fact, he lamented, it said, that in this age of agnosticism and secularism, that we are no longer sure of the church's vocation. And with that, this pastor, remembering and recalling 20 years later, wrote, Dr. Wilkie was absolutely silent. He was strangely, almost we'd use the word dumbfounded, at a loss for words upon hearing the seminary student. And then the writer said after a moment, he said back to the student, and said he detected almost a tear in this man's eyes. And he said to this young person, Are you telling me that you can have a suffering human being in front of you and you don't know what the church's vocation is? You hear what I'm saying? When we confront the sick and the suffering, we serve. And in this article, he went on to say, yes, there are many diseases that certainly need the most cutting edge of medical technology available today. But in the article, he said, there is nothing that we can create, including medical technology that takes the place of a human's longing to serve the sick. 
and the care they give is inestimable in the healing process. Hear what you're saying? We are called to be about curing the sick. Secondly, today, while we are proclaiming the good news of God's nearness, we also need to remember to cast out demons. Now, I know in this time and age, we of the educated, middle of the road, Protestant church, also smart and tidy, have often rejected the knowledge of demons in our world, and in some ways rightly so. I think most of us here would reject some semi-human form of a demon dressed in red with a tail and a trident running around trying to mess up our lives. I think most of us would reject that notion. Can I get an amen? Now, on the other hand, however, we all embrace how we define it. There is a force that seems to oppose wholeness and light. We encounter and we see it. In a way, the demonic. Anybody says... No, we don't have demons in our world. Just need to sit down for about a half hour and watch CNN. Do you hear what I'm saying? No, they're in our midst. These obstacles to wholeness in life. That energy is in our midst. And we are told to cast it out, to reject it. And then in other teachings, we're told also what replaces some of those attitudes and those behaviors. But we are called to cast out at the roots. And what I'm so surprised at is we as human beings, rather than cast out a demon, often invite another demon in to fix our previous problem. Can I get an amen? We've seen it. You got a problem. What do we do? Even in our teachings in the gospel, we talk about having the one demon fixing the place up, cleaning it out, only for that demon to come back in to the house and bring his friends with him for a real party. And so it is with you and I. We have this tendency to bring in another demon to solve our problems. And we've seen it. In so many aspects of our life, we know what it looks like, and yet we do it. One of the most fascinating things, I came across this last week, and I'll make this real brief, but as an illustration about this tendency of human beings, I believe it or not, I got it out of an article that was talking about bio-invasions, the spread of exotic species, and it was an article about how people have taken exotic species, moved them in other areas of the planet where they're not natural, and how they make such an imbalance in the natural structure around them. So, you know, and I'm working on the sermon, but by now, you know, 
I'm kind of chasing rabbits. You hear me? And while I was looking at this, all of a sudden they talked about in the late 1700s, in Jamaica, there was a sugar plantation in Jamaica, and the sugar plantation owner had these terrible trouble with rats. Terrible trouble with rats. And so he found out and heard that they had these monster-sized Cuban ants that hated rats and destroyed rat habitat. So in the late 1700s, he brought these ants over. Well, guess what? Ants and the rats cohabitated just fine together. They got along well. So now years again go by, and that population is so out of control that they, de- they decided they found a South American toad. And they brought this South American toad because this South American toad was supposed to be a predator for both ants and rats. Well, the South American toad apparently didn't like those ants and didn't like those rats, but they also flourished to the degree they called them a cane toad because they flourished so much in the sugar cane and apparently lost their taste for ants and rats. So now we move up to, to 1898, and I saw the article, 1898. They had finally solved their problem, quote, 1898, 26 years before, in 1872, they introduced the small Indian mongoose to the plantation area. And in 26 years after its arrival, the mongoose had decimated the island's bird stock, their reptile stock, their mammal fauna stock, along with much of the islanders' livestock. Problem solved. (laughs) Friends, does that sound human? Or what? Instead of casting out the demon and the enemy, we often just invite another one in. And last of all today, and I close by briefly saying... Also remember, while you are proclaiming the good news of God's nearness, remember also, not directly in this passage, but in supporting passages, Jesus also made it real clear for us is that we're also called to cleanse and embrace the lepers in our midst. That's the other thing that's very strong that Jesus put upon the people and those who followed him and upon himself. That here were these people suffering from a disease. Nobody knew how it was transferred. Most of the people in Jesus' time felt it could be transferred by touch. These people then were untouchable. Secondly, it was considered that their condition obviously must be punishment from God. And if not punishment for their sins, it was punishment for their parents' sins. And somehow then these offcast hurting and diseased people living in poverty and hunger and pain, that somehow it was God's will and God's punishment in their midst. And Jesus said, no. 
And when he embraced the lepers in their midst, I am sure that even the disciples shuddered at the thought. But nothing less would work for the God revealed in the power of Christ that those among us, often most repulsed by us, are the ones who most desperately need us. So I close today by saying, God bless you all on this marvelous 4th of July weekend as we celebrate the birth of our country, as we celebrate the birth of a country whose many laws and principles and constitution have its roots deeply within the Judeo-Christian model. And it is something I think that we should always keep prayerfully in our hearts to both perfect and continue. Thus ends the message. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the blessings of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you always. Go in peace. for listening to this podcast of the First United Methodist Church in Turlock, California. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. For more information about our church, visit www.fumcturlock or call the church at 209-668-3000. Visitors are always welcome. And now, may the peace of the Lord dwell in your hearts this day. And may God bless you.